it's got to be up there with one of the worst days of your life. It takes a lot to top being told you've got cancer. Well, I can remember when it happened to me. I walked out of the hospital. The sun was shining. People were shopping. The world was continuing for everyone. But not for me. Of course, I came home from that appointment with a million questions. But my family was looking to me for the answers. And I tell you, I hadn't heard much about what the doctor said beyond, if you've got cancer. And it doesn't stop after that diagnosis. You've got appointments to get to, treatments to plan, word gets around that you're sick. But what do you tell people? How do you get past that big C? Am I going to die? You will have questions, lots of questions, and you've been told where not to look. Dr Google. The internet is full of the most unhelpful information you can imagine, mixed in with some stuff that's accurate, but maybe it's things that you don't really need to know all at once. So where do you go for help? Your medical team will be great, but maybe you're not going to remember to ask them everything. It can be tricky to ask a sensible question when you're lying on an exam table with bits of clothes missing. Meanwhile, the questions are starting to mount up. Did you know there is somewhere you can ask for good, reliable help? Questions answered without judgment. Questions answered by qualified oncology nurses. These are the ones that actually work with cancer patients. You can ask them anything. You wouldn't believe the questions I asked them. Hello. This might be a silly question. I'm wondering if you can help me. Do you know anybody I could ask? I'm really worried. I'm just wondering what's going on. Do I have a choice in this? My wife is acting really strange. So who do I ask? Mum's just carrying on ignoring I think I need to know some more about radiation. So what are the kids going to do? My name is Catherine Lane and I'm the nurse manager of Cancer Council Victoria's 131120 Information and Support Service. My name's Craig and I'm a cancer nurse for the Cancer Council. So the phone line itself is available 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. It's just the cost of a local call for anyone who chooses to use 131120. And what you'll get when you call that number is an experienced cancer nurse at the end of that phone line. And really, the nurse is there to answer any questions that anyone might have. And that can range from the general public with questions about prevention and early detection all the way through to patients, family members, carers, friends, health professionals. The list goes on and really any question that anyone might have about cancer is something that we're there to answer and it's really just designed to be a complement to the care that people receive in their clinical settings. Am I going to lose my hair? I think I could skip this. I'm really worried about Dad won't tell us anything. So I have a chance to beat this? Yeah, I'm really worried. This might be a silly question. I'm really worried. So health professionals may call to check you know, I've got this patient, this is their situation, these are the services that I've referred them to, do you have anything else that I haven't already covered? They might be calling from a smaller health service that's not as well resourced, so they might be ringing to implement some of our services that we have available, and again, it's about that complement to clinical care. Occasionally you might have a health professional needing to debrief a particularly tricky situation, and especially those callers where there's not a lot that can be done. But yeah, predominantly it's from, from patients, carers, family members with the general public in there, but absolutely health professionals are, are very much able to call and, and do call. 50% of callers that come through are patients themselves. You know, they might be at the beginning, they might be at the end, they might have finished their cancer treatment. They can be at any stage. And so 50% of connections to the service come from patients. 
the second highest demographic are 25% carers' family members. The rest are then made up of general public. But the two main users of the service are patients. But we're starting to see that carer, family, friend statistics start to rise as well, which is great. And it's interesting when we compare the phone service and we have an adjunct service, which is via email. So your questions via email would be answered by the same nurses. But we saw that patients tend to use more the phone service and carers tend to use the email service more. We're not quite sure why, but it's nice to see that carers are starting to see that this service is just as much for them as it is for the patient. What's a day like on the phones? Oh, a day could be, you could get any call. Cancer Information and Support, Craig speaking. Could I start with your name and postcode, please? I'm really worried about ringing you. The surgeon is saying I have to have chemotherapy. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a three-year-old. Sure, sure. So that's totally understandable. You're freaking out. You know, really get that. So starting chemotherapy, whereabouts... My history with Cancer Council is that I did start out working as a nurse on the phones myself and I split my time between the hospital and the phone system. And then in the last couple of years, I've moved into managing the service and that's brought on a whole different, I guess, range of challenges. But for me, when you're working away, your ears tend to prick up at all the calls that are going on. You tend to hear bits and pieces from all the different nurses in the teams. And I think six and a half years later for me, there's still calls that we get that we're surprised by or that we haven't had before or calls that still get under your skin and you need a bit of debriefing and a bit of download time after that. But I think those kind of experiences are what keep you working there. And it tends to be if I'm sitting there standing at my computer working away at doing a budget or you know something manager-like, it always tends to be that my ears prick up when I'm hearing quite a significant call going on for someone and hearing the way in which the nurse can support them. You hear the flow of the call and you hear when it gets to a natural end and you can hear even from a one side from the nurses that they've obviously got to a much better place. And that's when you sort of think, okay, forget the budget spreadsheet, forget the manager roles. This is actually a really important, important service. And occasionally, for many reasons, I'll jump back on the phones myself and selfishly, that's a very happy time when I get to do that. Cancer Information and Support. This is Catherine. Can I start with your name and postcode, please? Our situation is that I've just had a baby and we want to go and visit a friend because I know it will really cheer her up. She, though, has just had radiation therapy. So I want to ask, is that is it safe for her to hold my baby? Sure, absolutely. So can I, can I just step back a moment? So the information around your friend having radiation and first of all it's not a silly question it's a very good one to ask and I can definitely understand you wanting to clarify that before you visit do you know how long ago her radiation therapy was I'm pretty sure she's finished her radiation yet okay yeah in in the last couple of days yeah no she definitely finished this week okay sure when someone receives radiation therapy they will receive I guess different information for them about the type of treatment that they've had and any precautions that they need to take And so I'm hoping that your friend will have received that information because it depends on, I guess, the type of cancer that they've had and there's a couple of different types of radiation therapy that might be used. If it's something that you are concerned about and you don't necessarily know some of the answers to those questions, it's absolutely fine to ask your friend that. And it's, as I said, it's something that will have been covered in her education and it's probably something that other people have wondered or have asked about because generally she might be living in a house with people that are worried about interacting with her. So I, I'm, I can encourage you that it's, it's okay to ask those questions because on the flip side of that, what we need to be conscious of is that someone going through treatment may be in a situation where they may have you know, lower immune system or, or other issues that 
you as a visitor need to be careful not to to bring those into the house as well. So it's a two-way conversation. It really can be any type of inquiry and I think there's something really satisfying might be the wrong word but it's quite satisfying when you get someone call and they might have called for something really simple so they might have seen on the website that you could access a wig or that you could call for some financial assistance or something really practical tends to be the reason why people will first pick up the phone might not always be the right reason or the the underlying reason why they called but it's something that they feel that they can it's tangible for them to name and I think one of the real skills of the nurses, and especially when you're working on the phone, you haven't met them before, you can't see them, you don't know their case history, you can't look through their notes. There's a real skill there in letting the, the caller direct where it goes, but using some really good, I guess, all the skills you think of, therapeutic communication, active listening to sort of tease out some of that stuff. So you can have them call for something really simple, but through the nature of the call and some well-placed, so how are you actually going or where are you at within your treatment? Can you tell me where you're being treated? You know, who's around you that's supporting you? 15, 20 minutes later, you can end up with quite a full picture of where this person's at, but also you've had the opportunity to suggest and tease out some of the other programs that we offer or other supports in the community that they haven't tapped into yet. And I guess the difference between a clinical setting and our service is that we're not time limited. We're not having to rush them through. We're not having to rush them off the phone. We actually can spend that time to get to where we need to get to, which is really nice. And for those really complex ones where you might hear family dynamics, workplace situations, emotional components, support for children, all those elements that might come up for people. If we've covered a lot of ground and you're feeling like you're getting to a point where you're sort of reaching a bit of a limit, you have the opportunity to offer a follow-up call to that person as well to say, okay, well, I think we've, we've probably covered enough for today, but how about I give you a call in a week's time and see how you're going and see how you've, you've found all that information from today. So it's really nice to be able to offer that continuity and that option for people as well. I had a gentleman call me up who, whose partner has gone through breast cancer treatment and had really poor quality of life through the treatment. And she's now got some symptoms again and won't go and see a doctor, won't go and get any treatment and doesn't want to know about it. And he's so concerned about her. And all I could really advise him is that she's a competent adult, which is what his GP has advised him as well, and just to look after himself. People do avoid treatment Mm. because it's horrible Mm. in the most part. My experience is a lot more men won't necessarily go and see a doctor but they will call a number so you know at least it's something you know we can give them some sort of advice or you know and how do you deal with a call where you as a nurse as a health professional can kind of see there's a pathway that they really should be taking and they're kind of giving you all the indications that they're just not going there it's one of those things with callers that You really do have to sit on your hands sometimes and delay your own professional opinion. And I think to not sound too cliche about it, if you've got someone who's really openly trying to throw back at you whatever you're suggesting, sometimes it's then about stepping back and trying to figure out, well, okay, what's lying underneath that that's stopping you doing this? There are some cases where it's so obvious that, you know, your health problem or your health anxiety that Craig was speaking about might be anything other than sinister. But by delaying and denying and avoiding, you're making it bigger than it possibly is. Like we've had calls from people who will call with something like that and, you know, five, ten minutes in, it'll come out that they knew someone that died of prostate cancer and they've got prostate symptoms. So they're starting to panic and freak out, but they've not yet done any checks. They haven't been to a doctor. They don't have any significant other symptoms that make you think, okay, this is actually sounding quite serious. 
But it's about really, I guess, being that support person to correct any misconceptions, give them evidence-based information, and to try and make them see that there's nothing to be lost by going to have it followed up. And even then, if you flip that around and you've got someone who's ringing up with some quite significant symptoms and you're sitting there thinking, if I were you, I would be going to the doctor tomorrow. Sometimes it's like they need someone else to clarify that they're not making it up or that they're not being precious about it, that actually know what you're telling me is significant. And from if what you're telling me is correct, then I would definitely be advising you to head to the doctor ASAP. So you get people from both sides of the fence and all different types of calls. And it you know, you have to tease out their life experience, who they've got around them, what's adding to it. You might hang up and go, did I really just get asked that question? But before you want to put judgment or reserve, you know, thinking, oh gosh, I can't believe they just asked that. I think you sort of step back and think, okay, well, why did they ask that question? Where is that coming from? And what have they heard or seen or read? We've had all weird and wonderful questions about does X and X cause cancer? And it can be something so far out that you're like, where did you hear that? We had a gentleman email in on behalf of a friend who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer and she had been told by someone that the way to cure her cancer was to drink kerosene. And as nurses sitting in front of a computer, we could not get that reply out quick enough to say, please don't do that. You know, that was a genuine question from someone and luckily he'd had some concerns and he'd done his own research and wanted to follow up. But that's genuinely a concern for someone. All we can do is strongly encourage that yes do this no don't do that this is how i would proceed but yeah there's definitely been some be careful how much you google oh my gosh dr google yep you definitely get people who are hoping that you will tell them that avoiding is fine and a lot of the time it's really about teasing out and respecting that it eventually will be your decision and if you've sort of assessed as best you can over the phone that they do have some level of decision making capacity then it is your decision, but my job as someone whose service you've called, it's my duty of care to make sure that you understand the ramifications from what I understand, but that before you make a finite decision not to have treatment, you need to be well informed. And a lot of the time if people are doing that, it's because they either haven't understood what they've been told or less frequently it's because they actually haven't been told, but it's more so that they've, they've taken in the smallest amount of information from an appointment and run with it. There are definitely times when you sit there and think, I'm sure that you would have been told something differently, but if this is what you're telling me, then I have to go with that. And that's where you might say, look, before you make a final decision, these are some questions I'd like you to take back to your doctor. Get them answered to a point where you feel really comfortable. And then look, if you decide that you don't want to proceed, then that is absolutely your decision, but you need to make sure that you've got all the information before you do something like that. And because we have had stories from carers that call in and tell us about people that have passed away from what would have been very treatable cancers because they just, for whatever reason, didn't proceed with treatment. And at the end of the day, you can only give the information and they have to make that decision. But it's more common than people might think. What are you practically able to offer people that call up the number? We can offer short-term telephone counselling if there's something that they think they might need. There's another service called Cancer Connect, which puts them in touch with a volunteer. And we match them with a volunteer that's had a similar sort of diagnosis or treatment to them. And that's, I guess, peer support. They're not there as counsellors, but they're just there to offer advice and just understanding, I guess, that they've been through a similar sort of treatment. There's a wig service, which is often cool. re- really fun. And uh, it's really lovely to see people walking away with a, with a wig that they're really happy with and feeling better about themselves. Our programs really, you know, it depends on what the person wants. Sometimes mm. it's 
they need the information. So you make sure they've got evidence-based information. If they need something practical like a wig, you can offer them services like that. Or it might be more the emotional support, which is where the peer support comes in, or it could be a combination of all three of those programs. So again, keeping in mind that idea that we try to complement what's available in clinical settings. For example, there are lots of hospitals that offer wig services. So Our service might not be needed, but for those services that don't offer one, that's where Cancer Council comes in and all of our programs are free of charge to eligible callers. And, you know, we know that's one of the biggest things for people is the practical element of finances and how greatly that can impact people. So we do have financial assistance options, financial planning and legal service referral options. And as I said, it can be a combination of any one of our programs at any stage. So even if they call up once and you ascertain that these sorts of programs are what you need right now, You'll get people who do call back later when things are different. They might be at the end of their treatment. They might have unfortunately found out their cancer has come back. And you do start to see patterns in repeat contact with the service. You know, you hope that people never need to use our service at all, let alone need to use it again. But if they're in a position where they're continuing to be affected, you hope that they will know that they can pick up the phone at any time. The strength in what we offer is that it is information practical and emotional in any combination that works Mm. for the patient or the carer. Catherine, how did you get involved in the field of cancer nursing? Not something most people would have as a career aspiration. I'm definitely a person who likes to get to know someone. I didn't do so well in surgical wards that had high turnover because you didn't really get to know people very well and they were gone. And even when I had to do my surgical placement, I gravitated towards the people who were having breast conserving surgery or who were having excisions of cancers or because there was something to talk about there and there was a connection to be made. Even in our phone service where you might not necessarily have repeat contact with people, getting to hear people's experiences and and be some small part of making that better for them when they're in such a horrendous time that they're going through. And that goes for a lot of different diseases, but there's just something about oncology that just made made my heart very happy. When Mm -hmm. I go out, you know, you get the question, what do you do? And I say I'm a cancer nurse. There's usually a long pause and then they go, gee, that must be hard, and then they'll mm. turn away because they don't really want to talk about it. Or you'll get a story, you know, oh, my, my, you know, I've had cancer or my mother's had cancer or, you know, somebody I know, and then they'll talk to you about it and it's, it's really good. And the first people are right, it is hard. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It can be really hard, but it also is incredibly rewarding. So this is a question we found we asked a lot of people. What is the one thing that you wish people knew about the Cancer Support Service? The one thing I wish people knew is that our services existed, and if yes, I can be so exactly. bold. Yes, true. <laughs> um, true. Because I think the most difficult thing I struggle with is if people have managed to make contact and you think, why didn't you call us six months ago? The word cancer can instill so much fear and anxiety in people, but it's improving. Cancer's not what it used to be anymore. Finding a lump and not doing anything about it versus not finding a lump till later, it's, it's a very different story these days. And that's not for all cancers, obviously. It can be different, but things are far better than they used to be. And there is far better support these days. There's always more that we can be doing, absolutely. But I think the biggest thing is for people to get onto it sooner rather than later. In terms of the services that are offered via our, I guess, the Greater Cancer Information and Support Service, the majority of our programs are available via phone and internet. And there'll be information about the education programs coming up, but they're actually run and designed in a way so that they can be run in that region for those people. The beauty of being phone and internet based is that it's accessible to anyone. And with things like counselling over the phone, we've had some really lovely examples of why those services are so important. And in terms of phone based support, in that if you're living in a smaller town, 
and your GP happens to be also your best mate and your neighbour and the town knows everything about you, being able to pick up the phone and speak to a psychologist as opposed to everyone knowing that you're going to see your psychologist because your psychologist is your neighbour on the other side, having that option for people can be really, really important. And I think we'd like to see much more contact from those areas and there's lots of things that we're doing behind the scenes to try and improve that awareness. It's difficult. We are located in St Kilda Road in Melbourne, but that's not to say that there's not more that we can be doing to improve that reach and that awareness, and that's definitely planned for remainder of the year and moving forward. Second opinions, are you'd get at least one call from the yep. nurses every day about second opinions. In some cases, they're completely justified, and in some cases it comes back to you get the sense that they haven't necessarily understood, understood all, the, all mm. the information they've been given. But, you know, there are definitely some instances where a second opinion is justified and you'll let people know how to go about that. From my perspective, accommodation and transport for rural and regional people are the two biggest gaps that we've had for a very long time, and that's when you're working for a not-for-profit organisation that's entirely donor-dollar funded. They're big services to establish and sustain, but we know that that's a big gap for people, so I'd love to throw some money into setting those up. But then, like we were talking about, getting some rural and regional centres or some hubs that we can actually put out in the regions for people to access, that would be the best. It would be amazing to be able to do that and to reach physically further rather than just via phone and internet. So did you catch the number? They can answer the phone between 9 to 5 on weekdays, but you can email them a question anytime. And you can get other people to call too. You don't have to be the one answering all the questions about cancer. Get your relatives and friends to give them a call if their questions are getting too much. Our health professionals today, Catherine Lane, Nurse Manager, and Craig Morton from the Cancer Council's 13 11 20 Information and Support Service Line. I would highly recommend calling them. I certainly did. So let's introduce you to some of our cancer survivors and their best advice for getting through your cancer experience. Bev Walker. I have been a survivor of breast cancer. It was 43 years ago on the 25th of February. Kay Fox, breast cancer. Carol McGregor and breast cancer. Vicky Wilson, breast cancer and ovarian cancer. My name's Sharon and I've suffered from breast cancer. Sally, breast cancer. My name is Georgie Ray. I have had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm Carol Flapper and I had breast cancer and then I have metastatic cancer now that went to my liver. My name's Pauline Preble and I had breast cancer. I've got a neoendocrine cancer and it's metastasized three sites now. I have a brain tumour. Prostate cancer. The main thing I think about the whole lot of it is a lot of luck. My first biopsy said it was non-aggressive and I was going to you die something else first <laughs> then two years later I've ended up with a bloody uh, aggressive cancer <laughs> I asked a specialist about it and he says oh it happens <laughs> I'm three years past my breast cancer diagnosis one thing that I wish I knew when I got my diagnosis was that you know I was going to survive I wasn't a silly old bugger that wouldn't go to the doctor but I still ended up with an aggressive cancer. I wish I'd known the side effects that all these tablets were going to have on me. I kept, was really fit and healthy prior to this. Now, I feel like I'm so old. That's why, yeah, I wish I'd known that all these effects were going to have this on my body. I was pregnant at the time when they diagnosed me and suddenly my life changed completely. 
once you've been diagnosed, you've got it for the rest of your life. Even if they say, well, I'm stable, you're never past it because there's always a worry in the back of your head. I said, no, there's got to be an alternative. I'll look into it first, you know, and, and see what it's all about. So we went on the uh, test and, and, and watch scheme. I fit what they call it now. So I've been on that for uh, just on 19 years. My most helpful thing would have to be my breast care nurse. After surgery, I felt so alone and I didn't have any, couldn't ask any questions. There was doctors and nurses, but nobody that really knew what I wanted to, what I was asking. And then when she came into my life, she knew exactly how I felt and she listened and I cried and she listened more and I probably cried more. And she answered all those really tough questions that I had. You need to ask questions if you don't understand. And if you still don't understand, ask them to put it in layman's terms, not their medical terms, because we're not medical doctors. But you do learn over the years because I've had cancer for seven years, so I have learnt a mass. <laughs> this is the Cancer Survivor Guide. We could not have accomplished this podcast series without our partners, Grampians Integrated Cancer Services and the Health Issues Centre, Consumer Voices for Better Health Care. Oh, and I'm a cancer survivor too. I'm Penny Johnston and I hope you found this Cancer Survivor Guide helpful.